Welcome back into Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. Zach Jones hosting. Josh Schmidt on the board. I love that song. I do. I just, that bump hits. I know it's mine that I put in there, so I'm kind of bragging about myself, but that's it's fantastic. Before we get to some draft talk, I do want to get to connected to our fans because I did tweet out, you know, what teams are you rooting for to win the Stanley Cup? Or, because we are far enough in the playoffs, who are you rooting to not win the Stanley Cup. So we are going to get connected to our fans, brought to you by the law firm of Gelber and O'Connell. They take your personal injury cases personally. Derek Kramer, WGR's own, tweeted in, Avs, Rangers, or Oilers are cool with me. He's very much against the Lightning and the Canes. I've ah, That's my thing with the Lightning. As I've gotten older, I have much more appreciation for dynasties. It is unbelievably, almost impossibly hard to create a dynasty. I also love watching them fail. Like, you can sort of build yourself up, and then I like watching you fail. I like the idea of an empire collapsing. I, I, I find that fascinating, especially in sports. So I can totally understand, you know, not wanting the Leafs to win. We also have JD tweeting in. He's rooting against the Canes. Steve, go Avs, go. I'm with Steve. I want Colorado to win. it. That's, that's who I want. Honestly, I think Kale McCarr is unbelievable to watch. And that's not even mentioning Nathan McKinnon, who is, Josh, what, what, the third best center in hockey? Probably Nathan McKinnon, you said? Yeah. Probably McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon. Mm. Or would we go somebody else? That's so hard. I See, I would say McKinnon could be number two on some days. That's fair. Well, those three are very, yeah, those three are those very interchangeable. In, yeah, it's those three and then everyone else. Yeah. But those three are very interchangeable on certain days and seasons. But McKinnon deserves, so McKinnon, McKinnon deserves to win. Get, at least get to the final. He's yeah. never been to the final in his career. Well, how, and, how many years have we been doing this where like, Colorado has been one of the best teams, if not right. the most well, that talented the team whole, in that, hockey? That was the whole thing last year with McKinnon's pre- postseason press conference. Yeah. Was he was very sick of losing. And he was. And Colorado fans, if, he, if, he, if Colorado loses in the – I think if they make the final, you're fine. But if they lose in the conference final – well, David yeah. or McKinnon is up at the end of next year. Yeah, and you got a question: Will with, he come back? I mean, they're going up against a team in Edmonton, and we, t- and we talked about him a lot in the first hour. Look, McDavid is in a class of his own. He is one right. of one. Leon Draisaitl is also up there as a probably a top ten player. It's it, him and McDavid are both in mm-hmm. the top ten easily. There's not even a debate right now in the league. Yes, yeah. not o- oh, not no, no, overall. Yeah, not, not overall, but in the league, yes. But the rest of the roster is just not. It's not good. It's no, not I mean, good. Evander Kane has twelve goals. Uh, yeah. Zach Hyman hasn't really done what they wanted him to. Exactly. Like we've talked about, and their the blue defense. line is not good, and no. their goaltending is atrocious. You have just what's whatever's left of Duncan Keith, and you traded away Ethan Bear. He was a good prospect on your D line. There's not much there. It, it, Darnell Nurse. Yeah, I just I I could see I could see that series sitting poorly with a lot of the, of that core that has been there for about four or five years now. Um, but continue on with hockey. But we're going to kind of turn the page a little bit further into the off season. The NHL draft, the NHL draft combine is this week. It starts Monday. That's Memorial Day, and it goes all the way to June fourth. Of course, that's how you know <laughs> professional combines go. They are not a day long event. They're an entire week. But it is in Buffalo. Last two years, we haven't had them just due to COVID-19, but it's back in Buffalo in Har- at Harbor Center. And Josh, you're starting a series up because the Sabres do have three first-round uh, first picks. Of course, our own, Vegas, and Florida because they were a disaster in their series against Tampa. So, you were doing a series coming up just about players that Sabres fans should really be paying attention to. They have an early first-round pick, they have a middle first-round pick, and they have a late first-round pick. Hit me with it. What do we... Uh, 
paint paint me a picture of what's going on. So let me start with the frame. So as you said, we've got the three draft picks. Personally, I would like them to try to trade that last draft pick in the first round and like a player or another pick perhaps. Uh, maybe next year, one of next year's seconds. The Sabres do have two seconds next year, one from Vegas and one of their own. Um, I'd like to see them try to move up a little bit. It, it'd be nice to get into the low 20s um, or even somehow back into the, more into the top 10. I mean, I'd like to see something between 9 and 16. That'd be a great place to be too. But 9 and 16 are going to be really good picks. There's a lot of good guys in the top half of this draft. And I think depending on team needs for other teams, you could see some of the better players fall. Um, basically, I've put it as the Sabres need a scoring winger and a right-shot defenseman. They desperately need a right-shot defenseman. I mean, right now on the roster, I think I think Henry Okiharu is the only right-shot defenseman on the NHL roster because Colin Miller and Mark Pissick are both restri- unrestricted free agents come July 1st unless they sign with the team. So you need a right-shot defenseman. You need someone that's going to tutor power, but that's something you're going to get more in free agency. But you also need someone that's going to come in and be your Owen Power or be your Rasmus Dahlin on the right side. Those two guys for me, there are two very good right-shot defensemen in the first top 10 of this draft, Simon Nemec and David Juracek. They're both European players. Um, They are just, from what I've seen, they're both phenomenal defensemen. They're not, you know, Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin number one overall worthy considering also, you know, Shane Wright and the other players in the top half of this draft. But those two would be incredible ads for the Sabres. But, like I said, they are ranked, some of the, some of the guys have them, you know, third or fourth overall. Other player, other, other you know, draft analysts have them ninth, tenth, uh, or somewhere in between there. You know, like between three and ten is where these two guys are ranked. Um, but as I said, with other with a lot of this, like a lot of these good potential players in this top half of the draft, it kind of depends on what those teams need. So if say the Montreal Canadiens for some reason don't want Shane Wright or don't need Shane Wright or don't feel like they need Shane Wright, they can draft David Yurchak, Simon Nemich, or one of the other forwards. It kind of just, like I said, it depends on what they need. And the Sabres need a right shot defenseman. So I'm hoping if they could trade up, they could take them much easier and not be worried about it. Or they could see they could gamble and see if they fall. So, other than that, I have about ten players here that I'd like to see the Sabers pick. It's 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 hard. I've tried to narrow it down. I've it's it's tough. This is a very fun. Is, draft is this class. ten players for a specific pick? Or no, is it, ten, or players, just ten players overall in the first round. Well, ten players overall in the top half. Okay, so we do okay. have. So technically, it's like five players. Per Look, pick. I have heard this is a very deep draft. Like it's, the top it's half looking is like not it. necessarily like. There isn't a McDavid. Like Shane Wright is not considered the McDavid, even Jack Eichel prospect. Well, he's. I, I would compare him more to, like a Lafreniere or Jack Hughes, one of the more recent guys. But no, he's nothing like Connor McDavid. He's nothing like Jack Eichel. But he's definitely has his own respect. Like okay. he is, he is a very, very but, talented. But it does draft, become draft a prospect. deep draft class. Yes, in terms of you could be drafting the Sabres are drafting ninth. That's their first, uh, first round pick. You're going to get a guy at ninth where you're thinking, okay, this is a good player. Right. And especially because, to be fair, you look at the Sabres roster they have now, 
It's a ton of young guys mm-hmm. with guys in Rochester who just completed what I would I think is a Cinderella playoff run. Did yeah. they did they win the Calder Cup? No, doesn't matter. They should not have been there. I was I was at one of the games against Utica. I think it was the it was it was the overtime winner in Rochester um, to send it back to Utica to you know finish the series, and that place was electric. It was so much fun. I mean, we've we've had a lot of like because I, I, I was paying attention to the series. I wasn't really able to watch any of the games just. TV and all that stuff, it was a little difficult, and I just, working in the morning, it's tough to get out to those games, especially in Rochester. It's only an hour away, but, you know, when I'm going to sleep at 9.30 at night to make sure I can get up, it's tough. J.J. Paterka, I think a lot of people thought before going into this playoff run, he's going to have to fight for a position, can't really see him potentially on the roster next year for the Sabres, at least to start the season. I think now I'd eat. He he needs to be on opening night roster. I I would see how his training camp was, is and then go from there. But yeah, he is. He looks spectacular. Like I said, the Sabers need a scoring winger. Him and Jack Quinn can be those scoring. I was going to say, like ultimately, they may not have to draft one because they may have two just sitting in the system. I think they right. should anyways. But load up, load up the cabinets. Exactly. Be, be, it's better to have your pipeline full rather than you know you're scraping the barrel. So I think, you know, that's also kind of why I'm getting into this NHL draft a lot more than other years where I was like, all right, I'll pay attention to the first round. And after that, I'll kind of not space out, but like I'll, I'll, I'll learn about this kid in three years. The Sabres now to me are doing it right where, look, your AHL team should be the young guys. Mm-hmm. And we saw that going into the playoffs where they brought up, I believe, two of the uh, of the Russian draft picks from last year in the second round. Well, those those guys didn't play. They didn't play. But and it was signed, only yeah. it, it was only one. And the other one was yes. Olivier Nadeau. He was from the the QMJHL. Yeah. So they brought up uh, one guy from um, from Russia and then Nadeau. So they're bringing up young guys as well. To me, what it looks like to fill in these spots of likely. But Turka and and uh, Quinn and even not Krebs, being there because Krebs, Krebs, I mean, he's there right now, but he wasn't there all season, so yeah. he's going to leave a vacant spot. Yeah, he's going to leave a vacant spot. So it, it does feel like no, j- just keep the pipeline going. We're not going to have uh, any of the goaltender prospects in Rochester this year in Levi or Portillo, but you know they're going to wind up in Rochester and right. they're going to kind of keep that young pipeline going. Because to me, and maybe Rochester fans don't want to hear this, but to be fair, if you're if you're a young core that's coming up is good, you'll be competitive. I care far more about the young guys progressing than a bunch of old guys that have a competitive AHL team. Right. Yeah. But to me, if the pipeline is good and then the young guys are being drafted high and they're being developed, you're just going to have a young, exciting team that just transitions over like a college team does. Not going to lie, Laval is that old guy AHL team. Like they are. They yes. had, I mean, Ben Sherratt, or not Ben Sherratt, I'm sorry. Uh, I think it was Ouellette. He was, a, he was a Canadian's defenseman for a while. He was on that team, and he's like, I mean, he probably could still be in the NHL, but he's on the AHL. I mean, Laval has a good chance of winning the, the Calder, I think, now that Utica's out of the way. Um, but but anyway, so back to these back to these draft prospects. So my there there's a bunch of guys that I like in this in this first pick for the Sabres. Connor Geeky being one of them. He plays for the Winnipeg Ice in the WHL. He's six four, two hundred and five pounds. He's a huge center. But because yeah, the, the Sabres need more size. Well, love it. Well, I'm all, that's I'm all for it. Tage Thompson needs friends. Um, the one thing that I don't like is he's a center, and I, the, the Sabres have a lot of centers right now. They have Dylan Cousins, Tage Thompson, Peyton Krebs, Casey Middlestat. So, I mean, sure, some of those guys can be flexed to the wing, but but Connor Geeky is a center. He is not a winger. He can't really be moved to the wing, and that kind of creates a logjam there. And I don't really want to like. Kevin Adams has said he doesn't want to sign guys in free agency that's going to push a, a rookie down. Well, you also don't want to bring in a rookie that's going to push other players out of the way. 
So I'm not saying that I wouldn't love if they drafted Connor Geeky, but it would create some of a or somewhat of a issue at the center position. Well, I guess it's not an issue to have more than you really need, but you know what I mean. Um, another one, Cutter Gauthier. He played in the U.S. National Develop New U.S. National Development Team program. I always get that acronym wrong. Um, oh, don't worry. I see the acronyms for hockey, and I'm like, I'm not even going to try. I'm not, not going to look that up. I'm just going to read what it you, incredibly slowly. What do you think? What do you think the um, the QMJHL stands for? Anything with Q, I always feel like it's Quebec, but it's not. It is Quebec. Okay, good. Thank it's God. Quebec Major good. Junior Hockey League. See, I Quebec done. <laughs> I, I know where it's located. So back to Cutter Gauthier. So he, like I said, he's committed to Boston College for next year. Um, he is a center or a left winger. Um, great stats throughout his career in the national development team program um played on the world juniors uh under 18s had nine points in six games looked phenomenal he's got a great shot great hockey iq um he's a little he's just he's i don't know it's with him it's he's a little too good to maybe fall to that nine position so that's why that's probably the only reason why the sabers wouldn't get him but if he falls to the to the nine position, I would love for the Sabres to draft him. He is a very exciting player. Another big guy, 6'3". So, like I said, Tage Thompson needs some tall friends. Truthfully, I'm not against it. No. it, it you, you see, like, I mean, we have, I mean, Jack Quinn's a little small. Jeff Skinner's pretty small. J.J. Paterka even. But if you get bigger, I mean, a lot of teams, they're not going to mess with you. You got Dylan Cousins, Tage Thompson, even Alex Tuck's a pretty big guy. So, not to say size is the best, but would certainly help out, and especially if they can score too. Now, my biggest draft crush this was this is like you with Calvin Austin the third, I think, or no, Chris Olave. I'm sorry. When when the NFL draft came around, when you were just obsessed with Chris Olave, that was my guy. That, that was, was your guy. guy. This is my guy, Brad Lambert. He is, and this might not be very popular among some people because he's been falling recently in draft stock and things like that. But that's just because, I mean, like we said. This draft class is pretty loaded at the top half. Brad Lambert has probably one of the most important things any prospect coming in the NHL needs, and that is speed. This guy is incredibly fast. He is very agile, can move with the puck at speed, too. It's not just you know speed off the puck. It's speed on the puck, too. On paper, he doesn't look the best. He had played 40 games last year in Liga, which is the Finnish league. Mind you, in Europe, they're not junior leagues. They are That is their NHL. There are former NHL players playing in the Finnish League. There are former NHL players playing in the KHL and in Sweden in the SHL. So it's not like he's playing against guys his age, like guys in the OHL and the Dub and all those places, and even in the U.S. He's playing against men who are trying to compete for their version of the Stanley Cup. They're, they're not just trying to make it to the NHL. They're just trying to you know be good for their team. So that's one thing to look at whenever you look at European players. Brad Lambert had... 49 games between the Lottie Pelicans and JYP. I don't know what JYP stands for, but it's a, it's a Finnish team in Liga. He only had 10 points. You're going to say, wow, that's really not good. What are you talking about? When you watch this guy in the film, it's it looks like he is just, his skates are greased and he's just sliding. Like he is moving so fast and he can move around everybody. I mean, he is the guy that this team looks for to bring him bring their bring the puck in the offensive zone and hold it and create something. He can, you know, do the whole run around the boards like we saw, I think it was um oh god, oh it was it was Detroit's 
Detroit's draft pick, Moritz Sider. He did that against the Philadelphia Flyers at one point this year, and it was so much fun to watch. But this guy's doing that in the finish. I mean, sure, that's more impressive in the NHL to do that as a defenseman, no less. But he's doing this against grown men at the age of 18. He's a little smaller. His size is a little bit of a worry. But, I mean, you get older, you can get bigger, you can bulk up. But one problem with that is sometimes he'll get out-muscled on the boards. He'll he'll you know lose the puck if he's getting a little too fancy with it. But like I said, he creates play. He is a dynamic player that can shoot the puck, pass the puck. He's got somewhat of a vision like Peyton Krebs does. I mean, Peyton Krebs' vision is kind of out of this world. But he has a very good hockey sense. One thing I've read is it's not always there. His consistency is a little bit of a worry as well, and that might be also why he's falling a little bit. But like I said, if he falls to nine and you have someone like Cutter Gauthier there, take a gamble. Take Cutter Gauthier and see if Lambert falls to 16 or move up and get Lambert between nine and 16 because I think he might fall. He might be one of these players that we like, like we saw with Atu Ratu, um, I think last draft or a couple drafts ago. He was number one prospect for years on end and then just disappeared out of nowhere. But since disappearing has bounced back after being drafted towards the end of the first round, he has come back and looked like he's actually going to be a decent prospect. And I'm not saying Brad Lambert's like this because he was never, you know, top guy, but he's definitely going to be an interesting prospect in a few years to come. Kind of almost like Jack Quinn in a way too, where, you know, when Jack Quinn was drafted, it's why aren't you taking um, Marco Rossi? Marco Rossi. That was his... I completely forgot his name already. I will never forget that draft for just how I remember Sabres watching fans it. have, in a sense, somewhat turned it around with Jack Quinn's play in the AHL, where it's like, okay, right. you know what? Well, that's 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 my point. Yeah. Is is he is Lambert could be like that, where it's like, okay, well, he's not the best guy available. Why are you taking him? Okay, then why did we take Isaac Rosen at fourteen last year? He wasn't the best guy available, but we but the Sabers took him, and he's looked and. Every single deep analytics scout was like, oh, my God, this is a big brain pick from Kevin Adams. This is amazing. It's it's thinking in the long term of a few years from now when maybe some of these older guys are moving on, Kyle Oposo or or, whoever else, you'll have some of these young guys who have to get bigger or have to get more consistent. Like You can bring them in and now it's like, ooh, this guy would have been taken in the top five if he was this at 18 or top three if he was this at 18. And that's like... Kind of the way the Sabres are building themselves with guys like Kevin Adams, Sam Ventura, and Jason Carmanos in the front office. To tease another little bit of a thing I'm working on, it's if any of you have seen the movie Moneyball, Great I, movie. I have I love that movie. I've had this idea in my head of, you know, the Sabres are kind of building that team. They're very low on like not low on cap space, but they haven't used a lot of their cap. So you can say they have a low budget. Their top three are gone, Ristolainen, Eichel, and Reinhardt. You lose your big three players. And now you bring in more of an analytical staff with Sam Ventura especially. I mean, he was he is one of the biggest analytic minds in sports. I believe he worked with the Houston Rockets for a while too. So he's he's not just in hockey. He's all over the place. And it's not like Ralph Kruger all over the place. It's a good kind of all over the place. So... It's just exciting because it looks like these guys are valuing analytics and and looking forward more than he's the best guy available. We need to take him. I mean, in certain cases with like Owen Power, yeah, you're going to do that. But in other cases with Isaac Rosen, you're not going to do that. 
because like I said, you can look at these European players and say, oh, well, they have no points. What are you, what are you drafting? Well, I think for? even on Isaac Rosen specifically, I'm pretty sure Kevin Adams has talked about like when they were drafting him, they looked at his parents and were like, okay, what can he become in terms of his physical stature? Because mm-hmm. Rosen, I think, was like 145 pounds oh, when he's he was drafted. Small. He's, he's a, small a very small guy. But I think Kevin Adams like specifically said, we looked at his parents to see, okay, genetically, is he ever going to become a big guy or is this... Ooh, he's gonna have a he's gonna have a tough time gaining weight, even if we get him on a pro diet workout program and all that right. stuff. So well, I mean, like they, it it, it, ahead, it sounds kind of I don't want to say it kind of sounds a little weird to say big big brain moves, but it is somewhat that in a sense of like think ahead, think long term. Don't think we need to be competitive immediately. Think mm-hmm. we need to be competitive for five to ten years, not just for two years. Right, and like you said, Isaac Rosen, he's pretty small. He's five eleven, one sixty three, not very big, but. He's another one like like Lambert. He can move. He he and he can really pass the puck. He has great vision. Honestly, just like Peyton Krebs, but maybe a little little less on that level. Like I said, Peyton Krebs to me is peak. He is like he has four eyes. He has two in the front of his head, two in the back of his head. I mean, I remember being at that Rochester game. He was the the play was right in front of me, and Krebs sees Rootsalainen across the across um, the slot on the other side of the slot. And feeds it through like six sticks. It went through the like the whole Utica defense and a few Rochester Americans over to Rootsalainen. And you could see as he was, you know, winding up for that pass, you could see, oh, this is what he's going to do. And he just did it flawlessly. And that's what I love about Peyton Krebs. But that's a, that's a different day. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm really excited for this draft. Like I said, I hope part of me hopes they trade up. I don't really want to see a player leave, but might take that to get up higher in the first round. Um, I've seen a few ideas to take, like I said, a couple second rounders and move up as well. You have Philadelphia's second rounder this year, so you could use that as part of your package. But it's going to be an exciting draft, especially an exciting offseason too with all the free agency money. But that's kind of what I got right now. I haven't really had too much of a chance to dive, really dive into all the other players except for the three that I or the three or four that I've mentioned. But... Like I said, Brad Lambert, I think, would be one of the big brain picks here at number nine or number sixteen for the Sabres. It would be very excited. I'd be very excited to see that happen. It's an exciting time for the Sabres, but those are going to be coming up in the next few weeks on WGR550.com. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to transition a little bit to football. Uh earlier this week, I made some New England Patriots fans quite upset. I said they would be finishing fourth in the AFC East. And I didn't go too much in depth. I answered a few tweets on that one. You know, I was commenting a little bit. But I want to talk about that when we come back. So we are going to be transitioning to football. Also, at 1 o'clock, we are going to be joined by Locked On Jets' John Butchko. And Josh, you have something. Yeah, real quick. I just saw this on uh, on our Twitter feed. Our Paul Hamilton 30 minutes ago tweeted, With 32 seconds left in the first, Dylan Cousins goes to the net and converts his own rebound to tie the game for Canada 1-1. They're playing Chechnya right now. In the world junior or in the world championships, he's had a really junior. good world championship. Yeah. run. he is scoring a lot. So which, is so is yeah. Rasmus Asplund. Yes, he, he has is. six. Is, is he still six leading, or seven goals? Is he still leading the scoring table? I, I we'll check that in the break. But yes, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to transition a little bit to football. Talk about now the AFC East as a whole. I want to dive into everyone's off season. Of course, we know the big moves: Tyree Hill to Miami Dolphins, the Jets draft, New England doing nothing. But I want to talk about why I just I don't. You can fear Bill Belichick, and that's fine. I don't anymore we're gonna talk a little bit about that and of course at one o'clock john butchko of the locked on jets podcast will be joining us all that and a little bit more coming up here on wgr 
Uh, Orlovsky, how concerned should Patriots fans be about this arrangement? About as concerned as I was for my internet the first part of the show. That's, that's a lot. Guys, I, 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 two months ago I said this was the most concerning thing to me in the NFL. And it still is. The Patriots took a strength and an advantage and now sit at a massive disadvantage. I have no clue what their offense is going to be, what their scheme is going to be. And then, Graz, I was thinking about it last night. Look at their schedule and look at the teams that they have to play and find one game where you can be honest about and say the Patriots have an advantage when it comes to their offensive system. It is Dan Orlovsky, ESPN, talking about the Patriots' offensive system. I think a lot of people, if you've been listening to this radio show for the entire NFL offseason, Patriots are doing um, an interesting thing in the sense of they don't have an offensive coordinator and the offensive personnel they've brought in for coaching is um, some defensive coordinators who failed at head coaches and Joe Judge, who I would like to remind everyone on like a third and nine play on his own 10 yard line decided to run a QB sneak to punt better in a in a game in which he was deciding essentially if he would ever be a head coach again. I'm just going to outright say it. You don't need to be worried about the Patriots anymore. And I'm not just saying that for Bills fans. I am saying that for the NFL. They can't draft. Their coaches have shown year after year they were essentially just being propped up because of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's defenses for a number of years. I will always give Bill Belichick credit for that. For years, he was consistently able to build a top 10 to top 15 defense with not world-beater players at times. He's had amazing players. Ty Law comes to mind for me initially, or, or right off the bat. But they're a, they're a team that's 10 years behind because their quarterback in Tom Brady never really faltered a ton. He was, he was probably one of the most consistent athletes I can ever remember in my life. Just He was consistently near MVP quality, great in the, or solid in the playoffs, and really good in the regular season. You don't need to worry about them anymore. And I... Hinted at a little bit when we were we were heading break in the last segment. I made some Patriots fans upset. And that's because they're going to finish fourth in the AFC East. In my mind, right now, looking at their roster, they will finish fourth in the AFC East. Sal Capaccio, for the Extra Point Show, tweeted out the Patriots roster. And he also asked, you know, where are they better than the Bills in? Running back. Maybe. Safety, they're pretty good, but they're not better than Mike Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Yesterday, we went through on the Extra Point Show, Sneaky Joe and Sal. If you had to make an all-AFC East team, how many of them would truly be Patriots? It's like four or five players, maybe. They're not a talented roster, and they didn't help themselves with their draft. It was not a good draft. We all know the Cole Strange pick. It was a guy that the next day the Rams somewhat were making fun of them by saying that they thought he would be there in the third or fourth round. They took him at 29th overall. Is Cole Strange a good player? Yeah, I think he's got a ton of potential. They were way better guys ahead of him. They were way better guys ahead of him. In the second round, they take Tyquan Thornton, a wide receiver out of Baylor, who a lot of draft experts had as an undraftable player, a guy that you can get as a UDFA after the draft. They're not a smartly run organization anymore. They're an organization run by yes men because you have to kneel and bow and pray to the altar of Bill Belichick. I will never take away the Super Bowls. He did win them. He did. 
Cheating aside, he won the Super Bowls. But every dynasty, every great head coach falls apart at the end. That just is what happens. Don Shula could not make Dan Marino work. He got to one Super Bowl with him. That's it. They could never draft a running back. Their defenses were fine to bad. And now you're somewhat seeing the same with Bill Belichick. I brought it up right as we brought up the segment. I will never take away Bill Belichick's defenses from him. He has put together great defenses until recently. They are awful. They are slow. This now, you know, the vaunted Patriots pick, you know, they kind of take like a, a spunky linebacker out of Michigan. I'm talking about Chase Winovich when I, when I do say that. It's not good. He's slow. He can't keep up with any sort of receiver in the NFL nowadays because the NFL has gone to a speed-based game. Bill Belichick, not understanding value or really ever being able to draft players, decides to match that and draft Tyquan Thornton out of Baylor, his own wide receiver that he thinks is going to be a speed demon, Tyreek Hill type. He's a bad route runner and no hands, which you're putting together with Mac Jones, who, by the way, you've done him zero favors because the offensive personnel you've put around him is Joe Judge's quarterback coach and a bunch of defensive guys. And along with that, let's just go through the roster because that's, to me, that's, again, there's... The draft is its own thing. I don't think there's any potential player that's going to help him. We're going to talk a little bit about the Jets coming up at one when uh, John Butchko of Locked On Jets comes on because they, to me, are the antithesis of the Patriots because I really like Joe Douglas as a GM. I think in five years, if Zach Wilson hits, and I, and I want to preface that whenever I talk highly about the Jets, if Zach Wilson hits, I think he can. I'm not saying I think he will. That team has built themselves up to a modern game. Their defensive tackle in Quentin Williams gets sacks. They're getting pass rushers. They're helping out the O-line by putting early draft capital into that. They're getting good wide receivers. I think they overpaid a little bit for Corey Davis, but now they've put him in a position, yes, he'll be a little overpaid, but guys like Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore are going to really help him out. But going back to the Patriots roster, we all know their running backs, Damon Harris, Ramondre Stevenson. They drafted another guy in Pierre Strong Jr. and James White in the pass catching back. Let me tell you this, though. Josh McDaniels came up with that running game. He's the one that's basically made it where the Patriots running backs are a fantasy cavern because you can try to grab one and and say, hey, this will work for me, this will be great, but it's a pick-your-poison offense, a lot like San Francisco when it comes to that. Josh McDaniels is gone for the first time in a long time. And there's no Brady there to, to help you to kind of keep that offense moving forward. It's Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is a very fine quarterback. I think he is going to be this generation of quarterbacks, the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, on and on and on, Joe Burrow, all of them, go on and on and on. He's there, Andy Dalton. He's there, Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco made the playoffs his first year because the Ravens that year were a pretty solid team. But I would never call their offense a strength. He had to go on an otherworldly playoff run of 11 touchdowns to zero picks in 2012 to win the Super Bowl against the San Francisco 49ers team. I'm not betting on that with this crop of quarterbacks ever to happen again. I'm not betting on that. Because when Joe Flacco did it, there was three quarterbacks, and Ben Roethlisberger in his prime was never Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, maybe even Herbert, Lamar Jackson. He was not those guys. Ben Roethlisberger will get in the Hall of Fame, and in about 20 years it will be looked back and you'll go, he was okay, he was solid, he was fine. The AFC was dominated by two guys during you know, Joe Flacco's rise, Manning and Brady. Mac Jones has to compete with a plethora of near demigods at the quarterback position because of their physical traits. And it's not even mentioning that if Zach Wilson does hit, 
he's the third most athletic guy only because Tua is not he's not mobile due to a lot to his injuries, but he doesn't even have a strong arm. So their strength has always been running backs. They run the ball, they run the ball, it's always a pain, it, it boggles your mind how they do it. That offense coordinator's gone, and they did not replace him with an in-house guy. You know, the, the next Josh McDaniels. They didn't do that. It sounds like it might be some defensive guys, or Joe Judge, who, by the way, no one believes in. Then you go to their wide receivers. Because let's do that. Mac Jones, not going to get his the, the offense coordinator for the second year in a row. He's going to get some hodgepodge group together. He gets Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Nikhil Harry, Jacoby Myers, Ty Montgomery, Trey Nixon, Malcolm Perry, Matthew Slater, Tyquan Thornton, who I've put a little bit of thought into this, Christian Wilkinson, and they added Devontae Parker. Parker's a very solid receiver. That's about all I can say. He owns the Bills typically when he does play them. But now the Bills are going to have Tredavious White and a sec or I'm sorry, in a first round pick in Kyir Elam going back to back. So Parker better decide to go from a pretty solid receiver to an elite number one receiver very quickly, or we're going to have issues. But my big point, look, their offense, I think we all kind of knew that's not going to be their strength. What did they add to a defense that could not force a punt in, in key games against a division rival? Nothing. They didn't add anything. Nothing to a team in crucial moments in a game at home where they could potentially clinch the division. I, I don't think it was a, a clinching division game, but it was more or less, it's going to be nearly impossible for you to lose it. They did not force a punt. Playoff game. You guys can do this. Last time you came to Buffalo, it was a windstorm, but you you know, you know ran the ball 907 times and threw the ball three. You, you guys got this. Didn't force a punt again. Every drive was a touchdown for the Bills. Every single one. What did you add to that? Not a thing. The, the the Dolphins decided to add the fastest receiving core in the NFL. In Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill, and Cedric Wilson. This is the fastest receiving core in the NFL. Oh, and J.C. Jackson's no longer on the Patriots now. So like their one shining beacon is gone. He went to the Chargers. Oh, and the Jets? Elijah Moore, quick. Corey Davis, pretty solid. Garrett Wilson, fast. Brees Hall, running back, fast. Michael Carter, really good. Why am I supposed to sit here and go, oh, yeah, the Patriots are coming, the Patriots are coming, like they're never going to be gone. Why? Why? It's always happened. Every Hall of Fame coach at the end of their career or when their career is getting towards the end has somewhat fallen apart. It happens. I'm not going to sit here and, and then make that their career legacy that, oh, remember those last three years when they couldn't get it together? No. It's the same reason why I don't do it with quarterbacks. Look, I love mentioning Peyton Manning's second Super Bowl, but ultimately he was shot at that point. His defense carried him that Super Bowl. That's fine. Who cares? He threw 55 touchdowns two years prior to that. I don't care. You don't have to look at their legacy as you know the end-all, be-all when it ends. But Don Shula couldn't figure it out with Dan Marino, maybe one of the most physically gifted quarterbacks ever. And he's one of the most gifted coaches ever. But the game had somewhat passed him by. The drive was gone. Bill Belichick? Hired too many yes-men. Brought back too many former assistants who couldn't make it work as a head coach. Didn't really have a game plan post-Brady. Because let's be honest, if he had gotten his way and Jimmy Garoppolo was his quarterback, I'd feel the exact same way. I'd feel the exact same way. Because no matter how you feel about Jimmy Garoppolo, he's getting as far as he is because San Francisco's roster is loaded. And they run the ball better than New England has for a number of years. They just do that system better. 
I just there's nothing to me that tells me the Patriots are going to finish higher than third. Could I be wrong? If Zach Wilson is not good, if he's trash, the Patriots will probably finish third. But if Zach Wilson goes out there, let's give it an average stat line. 25 touchdowns, 10 picks. Maybe like a 63 complete percentage. They're finishing third. They're finishing third. The Jets were the only team last year to go 0-6 in their division. The only team. The Patriots finished second in the AFC East. They went 3-3. Three and three. They got swept by the Dolphins. The Dolphins got better. The Patriots got worse. There's not a move the Patriots have made that you can think they got better. There's not even a move they made that you can say, ah, oh, they, they kind of stayed the same. Their defense absolutely got worse. It is not good. J.C. Jackson, who I wasn't even a huge fan of because, you know, Diggs torches him every time they play. He's gone. You didn't even try to bring him back. He's a young guy. It wasn't even one of those Patriots moves where we're going to move off him a year before the, the fall happens. He's a young guy. There's, there's nothing there for me with the Patriots. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I'm more than willing to admit that. I'm going to say right now, probably not. It's a bad football team that cannot draft well. They overspent on free agency the year prior. And their quarterback who they picked has zero physical traits that make him an elite quarterback. He is just a fine quarterback whose best receiver now is Devontae Parker. When we come back, we're going to take a quick timeout. Formula One. Josh has infuriated me for not watching Drive to Survive. But it's not just that. I also want to talk about the Monaco Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc, as Josh said in the update for this hour, uh, takes pole. I want to talk about why, like, I kind of like the fact that Monaco's a boring race because it made qualifying so, excuse me, so much more fascinating. We'll do that. And, and of course, coming up at 1 o'clock, John Butchko of Locked On Jets will be joining us. All that and a little bit more here on WGR. Quick segment here on Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR as we've got John Butchko of the Locked On Jets podcast coming up in just about like five to ten minutes. But real quick, I do want to talk about this because the sport of Formula One has grabbed me so fast. And it is it, Josh, I'll tell you this: I, I'm a very traditional sports fan. I I love football, basketball, hockey, baseball. Because we all know about the Angels. Don't don't I see? Don't bring it up. Four three. Whatever. Last night, whatever. Blue Jays, yeah. Just remember 2 That's all I got. Ooh. I was all right. four. <laughs> <laughs> but Formula One has been, it, it's such a fun sport to watch. I've enjoyed it. And I think the reason I've enjoyed it is because, like, there's so much to it. But qualifying, which I, we were watching a little bit today before we started the show, and you were like, you know, this is a foreign language to me. is crazy. Qualifying a lot is, like, is like 50% of the race. Because if you start at you know pole, which is first, or you know in the top three or four, you have a really good shot at finishing in the top three or four. Obviously, because all of these cars, as you were noticing, it's a split second difference. So if you start in twentieth, you're probably not going to finish in first unless there's a huge accident. Monaco's different because you were seeing the course a little bit. It's a city circuit. Monaco, if you finish pole in qualifying, you've done like ninety percent of the work. Because there's just it's so impossible to pass people. It's such a tight city circuit. And me and Howard, uh, Howard Simon on the morning show, we were talking a little bit about it too. We were both reading articles about like you know why Monaco was kind of boring but also kind of exciting. It's because the drivers. I mean, this is essentially the Super Bowl of Formula One because of it's the historic core or the historic track. Drivers are like petrified of this a little bit because you have to be perfect. So while I've said like qualifying is like ninety percent of the work. 
you can't pass anybody. So if you have any slip up in terms of like, I've, I've crashed, but I can keep going or whatever, it's over. And even with that, you can crash. They're tight turns. It's it's a very stressful race. And that's kind of where it may be boring in the sense of there won't be any like overtakes or anything like that. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be especially fun tomorrow at I think around 10 a.m. I think is when the race starts. Charles Leclerc, uh, we were talking about it. He used pole for Ferrari. Max Verstappen, who overtook Charles Leclerc last week to lead the championship standings, finished in fourth in qualifying. So that's going to be behind his teammate and Sergio Perez. Perez had a bit of a comment uh, last week when he was pretty upset with his team principal about not being allowed to pass Max and then eventually being told Max has to pass him when it eventually did happen. He was pretty upset about that. He finished in third in qualifying. I will find it very interesting how Red Bull handles that situation, especially with Max Verstappen being in front of Charles Leclerc for the championship points. It'll be very interesting. Now, with that being said, Charles Leclerc's car could fail him again, as last week he lost power after he was leading, I think, by 25, 26 seconds. He was on fire. It's going to be very interesting. It looks like we have potentially a three-horse race for the constructors, which is just the team overall points in Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes. It's going to be interesting. Josh, I'm telling you, check out the uh, the Monaco Grand Prix tomorrow, just for like an hour. Because to be fair, if you get through an hour, you've got about 45 minutes left. It, and that's been a thing, too, that I've really enjoyed. I don't know how much soccer you watch. I mean, you're an Everton fan, but I really enjoy the fact that like things are done in like two hours. Oh, yeah, it's very quick. It's so it's like, nice. Like, it's not like a baseball game where you're watching it for four hours. Baseball, I can almost get behind because it's like, well, there's no time limit and innings can go on forever. It's just, it is what it is. That's true. You know, NFL football games last like five hours. I'm oh, exaggerating yeah. when I say that, but, but it, it feels, feels like, like it. it. Yeah. yeah. Where with, you know, with soccer and even with, for, especially Formula One, it's over in like two hours and it starts early in the morning. So, like, I like to get up early. Just, I'm used to it. I'll get like a lot of my errands done in the morning, come home, watch for two hours, and I'm like, oh, man, it's 12. I have the whole day ahead of me. It's so nice. If I could interject real quick here, Absolutely. I just want to go back to your last segment, you know, the of Patriots course. and everything here. Yeah. I just like to get, would give, would, wow, word vomit, would like to give you one thing here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've been meaning that, to get that, that off my chest. That was, that was, Phenomenal! I've been and it meaning was to get that off my chest. Perfectly worded, and, and you're right. It's not just because we're Bills fans. It's no. because it's true. I think the entire NFL should not fear them. It's true. I've, I but I've needed to get that off my chest because, I, and I've I've joked, but Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have ruined my childhood. They have. The Bills played a part in that as well with their terrible drafting. We went through that you know, a few weeks ago. With the scary man can't hurt you anymore. I promise. Because t- he can't. <laughs> he can't. There's he nothing can't. to hurt you with. Exactly. But we're going to take a quick time out. We're a little late here. Not even a little late. We're late. Uh, John Butchko of Locked On Jets podcast. He's going to be joining us next to talk a little bit about the Jets and their offseason plans, as I believe they are a team on the rise and potentially in a few years could really be challenging the Bills at the top of the AFC, AFC East. All that and a little bit more coming up on the last hour of Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR.